This summer, I traveled to Iceland. I heard it was beautiful, but here's the real reason I went. I was hoping to meet some elves. I have a question. Yes. This has never happened before. I was putting in a password so I could open up and take a picture. Mm -hmm. And every time I press one number, another one lights up and it won't let me open the phone. Yeah, that's very, I'm sorry, very elfy. <laughs> <laughs> they have this kind of humor. So okay, yeah. well. if you try again, now that you've talked about this, it might work. Okay, it's just a I'm on an elf tour with Raga, who claims to see and communicate with elves and introduces visitors to the elf population in a small park near her house. Icelandic elves are pretty human-like and don't resemble the pointy-eared creatures seen in TV and movies. Recently, the elves have received a lot of publicity surrounding construction projects in Iceland that have been postponed or canceled because of the damage they would do to elf habitats. It is believed that the elves live in nature, usually under rocks and trees, and so the development of the landscape means the destruction of their homes. We have the two te tectonic plates meet under Iceland, and the highland is constantly forming because we have this, this battle of ice and fire in the highland. I spoke with Steiner Kaldal, who is the project manager of an environmental conservation organization, about the landscape in which the elves reside. You have black sand deserts, you have lava fields, you have volcanoes in the distance, you have glaciers, you have uh, lush wetlands, you have this neon green moss, powerful glacial rivers, uh, sensitive colorful geothermal areas. So the variety that you experience in the highland is unique. As we are standing on a lookout over a thundering waterfall, I asked some fellow travelers about their experiences with Icelandic nature. What is most impressive is the difference of the colors. You change between the greens to the browns to the whites. This is the all colors in one picture. This is amazing. We just saw a rainbow being bounced off a waterfall with the sunlight in the background, and it's just absolutely phenomenal. Many people also mentioned that the landscape felt otherworldly. It really feels like you're on another planet, essentially. <laughs> it looks a bit like Mars, like what we picture Mars to look like. <laughs> I chatted with brothers who had just gotten soaked by Iceland's largest geyser. Um, so we just saw this amazing giant thing and a bunch of smoke come at us. And we just expect it because it wasn't coming right now. It just happened randomly. So, yeah. Have you ever seen anything like it? Uh, uh no. <laughs> How many times do you think you're going to watch it? Maybe. How many times have you watched so far? Uh, about five. 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 And you, you're going to stay for more? Probably. <laughs> but I still have not met any elves. I asked some tourists if they had had better luck. Have you heard about elves in Iceland at all? About what? Elves. The culture of folklore and elves and trolls. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no? <laughs> what can you tell well, us one, about the elves? One stopped me the other day and asked me for some silver coin. <laughs> but I might have been, I don't know, confused or drunk. I'm not sure. And I think it's so funny. I grew up believing in elves and people we didn't see. I met a woman who worked at a puffin museum 
and who was able to give me some insight as to where I might find them. Uh, just last night by the dinner table we were talking about it with my parents and in-laws. <laughs> we were telling stories that, like in my house that I grew up in, there was an elf cave behind it and when they were trying to build the house the machine always broke down when it was trying to dig into the uh, cave there. Then they have to move the house further down to don't interrupt the elves. <laughs> so yeah, it's very rich in your beliefs. Iceland was originally settled by Vikings from Scandinavia, who brought their language, culture, and religion. Even after Iceland was Christianized, many of these beliefs persisted. When they came to the country, certainly they believed in the idea of nature spirits that you had to show respect for. This is Terry Gunnell, a professor of folklore at the University of Iceland. He studies the nature of these beliefs and how and why they develop and evolve. With nature spirits, you call on their help to help with baking and with making ale and things of this kind in daily life and to help you with your crops. These are things that the church can't really stop. So they, they stayed here all the way through and are still here in Iceland at the moment. As I continued on my quest and asked more and more Icelanders about the elves, it became clear that perspectives on this issue range across a vast spectrum. On one end are the clairvoyants, or the people who can see and communicate with elves. People like Raga. I met a small elf once. He was very young, and he asked, he looked at me with his big eyes, and he was really surprised, and he said, are you a human? <laughs> I said, yes. So humans exist, he said. Ah. I thought it was only in my grandmother's stories. So they have stories like that. <laughs> but that was fun for both of us, I think, that little elf. But when you ask many Icelanders if they have had experiences with elves, you usually get this, I won't say yes and I won't say no kind of response. We were uh, gathering the sheep from the mountains. So I had this horse, it's called Brunki, because he's a brown. And we were just walking and nothing was going on. And then we came suddenly to a big stone and uh, suddenly the horse stopped. He's 20 years old. He was born up in these mountains, done that hundreds of times. Suddenly he stopped and I was trying to pull him and he wouldn't go near the stone. I don't know why. So when I came down, I asked the people, was it earthquake? Why did the horse behave like that? And everybody smiled because they, they didn't have any answer about that. So if you ask me, was something there? Well, some, everyone has to answer for himself. <laughs> I asked Terry about what was at the heart of this belief in elves. People are living in a landscape where you can, your house can be knocked down by something you can't see through a, through a volcano or, or a, an earthquake. Um, you turn on your taps and, and you get the smell of sulfur coming out, underlining just below your feet. There is lava alive. Um, you can hear glaciers talk and you can see this effect that they've had on the landscape. You hear them growling as they move through the land. Uh, you go to the hot springs and you hear them talking. You look at the sky and you see the northern lights. So people are very aware that there is power out there. And the more conversations I had, 
the more apparent it became that this sense of life that permeates the landscape really does affect how Icelanders approach their environment. Well, you don't want to damage a home when you see a whole family living in that home. Uh, so a rock, a lava area is, you want to protect it for many reasons. It's beautiful for the human eyes to look at. Uh, it's historical, you know, and there is a family living there or there is an elf church. You don't want to destroy that. So it, it works together, you know. Mm -hmm. And if the desire to save the elf population wasn't enough to encourage the preservation of the landscape, there are other examples of nature retaliating when harmed. One of the first things most people notice about Iceland is the lack of trees. But Icelandic people are very touchy on all subjects regarding the disturbance of nature in general. It has something to do with nature worship, but I think it's also in part based on prior experience. I spoke to Oder Sturluson, the project manager for Startup Tourism, an incubator for businesses addressing tourism in Iceland. For example, there are not many trees in Iceland, but according to historical sources, when Icelanders got here originally, there were a bunch of trees here. But this is like the time of the Vikings, so they just, I mean, they just cut them all down to make houses or boats. And at that time, they could live considerably farther inland. But when they cut down all these trees, it meant that the soil eroded or make it considerably more difficult to live inland, which is why you see a lot of these deserts. So this sort of bleak environment, we know that it's already been affected directly by us in a way that made it almost impossible for us to live here. So Icelandic people are very um, protective because they know that it doesn't take much to change things for the worse. Historically, there has not been much need for development in Iceland, since there are only 300,000 people in a country roughly the size of Ohio. And until recently, most of the visitors to Iceland were extreme adventure types. But due to cheaper flights, a highly publicized volcanic eruption in 2010, and the appearance of the landscape in many popular movies and TV shows, Iceland's obscurity is now a thing of the past. In 2016, two million people visited Iceland, an exceptional number considering that's nine times the Icelandic population. I asked some locals what the increase in tourism has been like for them. It's like a flood. There are a lot of people now. It's crazy how much people it is. Some of the places are so crowded that you don't want to go there anymore. <laughs> and the change has been crazy. The tourism has uh, seriously affected the, the, the country, I think. I think because Iceland is quite a fragile place. It's quite a small place, small population. I have to uh, think very carefully about how you accommodate the new uh, levels of tourism. So maybe the solution is to implement regulations to slow tourism. But it's not that simple. In 2008, Iceland suffered from a bank crash, which led to an unprecedented recession. Tourism has been the factor in us gaining an economic foothold again. It has been the uh, creating factor behind job creation. And it has influenced, of course, all around the country. So it has been the driving force behind getting Iceland out of the recession. So tourism has definitely boosted the Icelandic economy. While it is fairly easy for more tour companies to meet rapidly increased demand, it is almost impossible to install infrastructure and implement conservation measures in such a short time. I am on a tour which has promised to take us to remote locations that few have visited. But as more visitors seek wilderness, 
untouched places are increasingly harder to find. Because now we're going to walk through where the sands in the moss. Summer is very wet, you know, and one footstep can leave a, a long, long imprint. So, so then we try to use the stone. So please try to, you know, uh, walk, walk in, in, in the same place. Right? You have, for example, the road system. If I'm driving, I have to be aware of the bicycles, of the sheep, the hiking people, or the, those who are, are hitchhiking, and the, and the tourists that stop suddenly and they leave the car in the, almost in the middle of the road or middle of the bridge and are taking pictures somewhere out. So uh, <laughs> we have to cross rivers here. People drive too fast in the rivers and they get the water into the machine. So you have to teach them a lot. Until recently, Iceland was so unpopulated that there was no real need for laws governing where people are allowed to hike or camp. But with the increase in tourism that has a focus on adventure and wild experiences, this lack of regulation is becoming less and less feasible. Over the period of my life, as long as I lived, we had have that benefit to have the nature and go wherever we want to, almost. So we can go quite far. Hiking, people can go almost everywhere. So um, that's the change now because uh, they are closing more and more areas now. So we are getting used to not to go where we could go before. As it stands now, the lack of infrastructure presents a danger for visitors who may not have a thorough understanding of the landscape. Is it possible to, well, is, or it's dangerous to go by ourselves? Well, if you go onto the glacier, then that's dangerous. No, but, uh, only for this. We can but, walk for here, no? Is it well, there, there, is, there is no, 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 no trail, no. Uh, but you, you can like drive this road, but it's you you kind of rough in some places. Oh. It's not and it's not dangerous. Well, it's, uh, in the day like this a lot of people that come out here, they don't really know the environment and they go out into it. And then you have a lot of situations where you have like a lot of the um, like search and rescue and whatnot are having to go help people in a lot of circumstances because they'll go up to these areas thinking that it's OK, but without knowing the full, you know, background on the area. So it can it can be also kind of drastic in that sense. It can be a little dangerous. But the tension is that if sites are made more accessible, that will mean more visitors to these wilderness areas. Okay, um, my name is Guðmundur Ömundsson. Uh, I'm like a park manager here at Jökulsárgljúfur, which is a part of uh, Vatnajökull National Park in Iceland. To get to this park, you have to drive down a gravel road for 15 miles or so. So this area is not frequently visited right now. I talked to Gudmander about how the park might change with better roads and infrastructure. Uh, there is this idea, or it's, it has already started, building a proper road between this area. It would connect Ausbergi more with the ring road. And I guess that would increase the number a lot, uh, which is in some ways good, but also a challenge to protect what we have here, the nature, the quietness, the stillness around. And when the road is ready, uh, we will have a job to do. He also talked about the possibility of building more than just roads in the highland. Now there are some ideas to build hotels in the central islands, which are like totally different from the current inf infrastructure. What do you think about that? Yeah, it's just crazy. You know? it's, <laughs> I think it would just be 
be very damaging for for the Central Highlands and how they are perceived. They are, they are seen as as a wilderness. They are seen as a rough place. Nobody lives there. It's impossible to live there. So in that way, people have this respect for the Highland. They understand it's a dangerous place, but still a fascinating place. And do you think that's a huge part of Icelandic culture that might be lost? Absolutely, absolutely. Although I'm not sure that uh, not everybody understands this value, but it will, would completely destroy it. It is precisely the roughness of the landscape and the melding of the magnificent with the formidable that has inspired the belief in hidden nature creatures and which is so essential to Icelandic culture and identity. I, I think we like it the way it is, a little bit raw, and we shouldn't, you know, have to sugarcoat it for other people to come and visit because they're coming to see that. Like. In places like this, you know, you, you stand here and you don't see anybody. It's not very common because when you travel Europe, there's farm, farm, you always see, you know, man in everywhere, everywhere you go. But here, you don't, it's just nature, unspoiled. So that's the appeal for me anyway. Uh, I just like being out there and just hearing the wind, the water running, and nobody honking or traffic or, you know, you need to get away from that, for me anyway. And it is not only the landscape that is at stake, but the nuanced role of the elves in Icelandic culture is at risk of being lost as Iceland adapts to the increase in tourism. Icelanders, of course, realized that the, the, the rest of the world was interested in their beliefs. And they were quite amused by this, um, that anybody should be interested in their, their sense that the landscape is alive uh, and is personified in these figures. And so, yeah, they're, they're prepared to um, talk about it and, and to tell stories for, for tourists if, if it keeps the tourists happy. So you'll have places like, you'll have elf walks and you'll have a town, Hapnafjörður, which has a sign calling itself the elf town. So this is really playing off those beliefs. That's something more for outsiders. So something must be done if the Icelandic landscape is going to be preserved. Steiner Kaldal is the project manager of Hollanded Iceland National Park, an NGO which is gathering various interest groups to petition for the creation of a national park which would encompass the entire Highland region. And as you might notice, I talk about the Highland, not the Highlands, and that's on purpose because we talk about it as one whole, this area. I want to establish that uh, vision uh, as, as one area. Well, the Highland is a huge, huge area. It's 40% uh, of, of the island, so the variety is, is, uh, is huge. Uh, the organization has formed a coalition of stakeholders, ranging from nature conservation groups to outdoor recreation and tourism companies, which have vested interest in the highland. They recently released a statement of intent that shows the vision they have for a national highland park. I think a highland park that covers 40% of this island uh, could be uh, exemplary to other nations in terms of conservation. But despite the worries and the growing pains that Iceland is experiencing, 
There is incredible potential for environmental education and awareness to reach visitors from around the world. I already uh, have the impression that the people here in um, Iceland um, do not throw away too much of their waste into the nature. Yeah, mm -hmm. Because um, if you look around, everything here uh, appears to be very clean. Mm -hmm. But in, the, um, in Europe it's different. If people uh, have been uh, in the drive-through at McDonald's, uh, um, they um, throw away the waste uh, just out of the window of the car and then you will find it uh, everywhere in the nature. I think that's the most important thing is to really try to connect with nature in a different kind of way and seeing the glaciers it's like oh my goodness global warming is real. I just think it's important for people to understand as particularly as tourists I feel that you can arrive on mass to a country not respect it whereas when you come to Iceland everything is so pure so beautiful you don't want to do anything that will in any way harm it. The Icelandic landscape has not just been impacting visitors, but some Icelanders are gaining a renewed appreciation for their environment after seeing how it is viewed by others. Uh, I'm glad that people like to come and visit Iceland and, and, uh, and let's not forget they are teaching us a lot to appreciate the country because suddenly Icelanders are more interested to see uh, this and that. They knew about it, but... and uh, and. Uh, that has pushed people to hike more and, and uh, so I think uh, I'm pretty optimistic. So the future of the Icelandic landscape hangs in the balance. But what about the future of the hidden inhabitants and protectors of the landscape? What about the elves? It's essentially what's happening when people are telling their children about the hidden people that live in the rocks here and there is that they're giving their children a sense of um, responsibility for the landscape. The idea that the landscape is not something you just destroy, it's alive and it's got it's got a magic to it, it's got a spirit to it. Um, and and that the children ought to have respect for the landscape that they're living in. Um, so this is uh, this this will go on, and if this 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 is a something that gives magic to the landscape of Iceland, adding to the actual magic that's already in the landscape. So certainly it's it's connected to having respect for the world that you live in. I went to Iceland to experience a gorgeous landscape and maybe meet a couple elves along the way. What I found was a stunning country with a rich and whimsical culture and an incredibly deep relationship with a dynamic environment where it is understood that nature has to be revered and respected. The morning I was supposed to leave Iceland, I was awakened by the sounds of the wind, ferociously whipping against the window panes of the hostel where I was staying. Through sleepy eyes, I half expected to see an elf looking at me from the other side of the window. As I lay in bed, praying that I was not caught in the midst of a severe storm and that I would be able to get back home that day, I was struck by how truly impossible it was to ignore the vitality of nature in Iceland.
here in Iceland is very much alive. You can't ignore it. You know, we are now waiting for our next eruption. I hope you get to your plane before that happens. <laughs> so, you know, even if, no matter what you dress up for city life, we still have earthquakes and fierce wind and, you know, volcano eruptions. So we know that nature is alive. To see pictures of the Highland and find out more about conservation efforts, visit hollanded.is. That's H-A-L-E-N-D-I-D dot I-S.